This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 294. We did for the first time I had done this. It's like what I call the Burr strategy, but better. So we'll call it better than Burr. Is uh... <laughs> you're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, today's host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. I guess I could stop saying today's host because I am the host today of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Anyway, here with my partner in crime, Mr. David Green. How you doing? I'm good. I'm just basking in the shadow of the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. <laughs> well, I would say like today's host instead of like 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 tomorrow. I'm not going to be the host. I'll probably still be here next week. But anyway, uh, you you are Mister Bigger Pockets. I mean, if you guys ever see Brandon, how tall he is, his pockets are literally like three feet <laughs> long. He's like Paul Bunyan in person. So yeah, I mean, when that's I think Bigger Pockets, dream, I think Brandon Paul, Turner. Paul Bunyan. Thanks. I want to be Paul Bunyan when I grow up. That's that's exactly it. Better than uh, you know, you you and your uh, Bigger Pockets yoga pants, which we talk about in today's show. So <laughs> you guys are not going to want to miss that. Trust me. <laughs> All right. So speaking of today's show, I know we always say we have a fantastic show. This is a fantastic show. It really is. Uh, today we're talking with actually my property manager on one of my properties, my mobile home park. But he's also a real estate investor. So we don't really talk about him managing my properties. I just I met him because he's my property manager. But he's also a really legit awesome real estate investor and one of the best people at systems I've ever known. In fact, he's started multiple companies that he doesn't have to work inside of, which is super, super cool. Right? He's, he, he talks about how to find partnerships in business, how to hire the right people. The conversation on hiring is one that could save you decades of stress. I'm not even kidding because it's if I would have had this 12 years ago, I would have saved the last 12 years of a lot of stress. Uh, we talked about how we bought a motel that was uh, less than desirable. Uh, that story is fantastic. And how he actually walked away with a hundred K in his pocket after doing something he calls the quote, better than Burr better strategy. Than Burr. Better than Burr. So anyway, yep. uh, Jesse McHugh is our guest today. You guys are going to love it. But before we get to the interview with him, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. tip. Today's quick tip is... Quit worrying about what you're not getting out of life and start thinking about how you can be the employee or the servant that somebody else needs. We talk a lot on the show today about how as business owners, we are constantly looking for talented people that are willing to do what it takes and help us grow. And when you find that person, you just give them pretty much everything they want. Jesse himself was able to endear himself to a person who already had a property management company, became so valuable that the guy said, hey, I'm just going to make you the owner of this thing. Like, come on in. And then Jesse had a similar situation himself with our friend Ryan Murdoch, who is like referred to several times as the ninja, the real estate ninja on the <laughs> show, because he's so good at what he does. Yep. And uh, Ryan has proven himself to be like so good. They can't ignore you. Yep. When Ryan shows up, he gets whatever he wants. There is so much opportunity out there for you. If you embrace the challenge and say, I'm going to get really good at what I do and I'm going to serve someone else rather than asking, well, what's in it for me right off the bat when you yep. don't have anything to offer. So change your mindset and you'll find that success will find you. I love it. I love it. That's so, so important. And if people did not understand what David just said, rewind that, listen to the last minute again, because it's fantastic. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Now with that... Let's get to today's show with uh, Jesse McHugh. Like I said, Jesse is one of my property managers that one of my favorite people in the world in terms of managing properties because he is a rock star at it. And we talk a lot about kind of why he is that and how he uses that in all of his businesses. So without further delay, let's just get into the show. All right, Jesse, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Good to have you here. Thanks. Good to be here, Brandon. Yeah. So and today, oh, and Dave, you know, he, he and comes Dave. too. That's actually, <laughs> my parents were going to name me when I was first a baby was and Dave. That was, uh, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, anytime. All right. So let, uh, you know, like, as I mentioned during the introduction, uh, I met you through Ryan Murdoch. Ryan Murdoch is uh, my partner, one of my partners on my mobile home park, and you are currently managing my mobile home park and doing a fantastic job. So thank you very much. You're uh, thank crushing you there. But I find out that you're not just a manager. You're also a real estate investor. And that I know nothing about. All I know is you're like, you're, you're the world's best manager. And, you know, so today I'm going to find out the other side of you. So uh, why don't we just, I don't know, start way back. What'd you do before real estate and how'd you get into it? Oh, good question. So my first entrance into real estate was through property management. It was through the search, like most young people, of trying to find a career. So I had done some random jobs. I had worked for you know, the university that I had gone to school, I had done some assistant basketball coaching. And the most serious job, I landed up as a manager for a large resort management company. And like most people had the real world introduction of working the, you know, 70 hours a week for somebody else and started, started just looking for something else. And somebody I grew up with, uh, not grew up with somebody I knew from my childhood home, I was living in Florida, 
and I knew somebody who had a property management company and he introduced me to an opportunity to come work for him. And that was back in 2009. And once I started working in that trade, I uh, kind of fell in love with real estate and that's how it began. Nice. Nice. All right. So let's talk about your first deal. What was your very first real estate investment that you bought for yourself? That was, uh, that was a good one. So I didn't have a lot of money at the time. I was younger, working uh, as a property manager, and I started getting the itch. I was learning from a lot of my clients, you know, wise real estate investors like you two folks who I was doing all the groundwork for. I was learning from them and seeing what they were doing, and I just wanted to get in the game. And I don't remember how I got on it, but I was every day I used to read the uh, public notices in the newspaper and I was looking at all the foreclosures and I used to drive by a lot of them. I'd walk through some of them. And then one day the weirdest thing happened. One of them jumped out at me and it was a property we were actually managing. And it was a nice three unit building. I didn't know, I didn't know, have access to all the financials. So I didn't know that the property was actually in financial distress everything looked good on the surface, uh, well-maintained, good tenants. And I went to the auction without the ability to actually buy it, but I still went to it and scraped together the money just to put down on, you know, I think they needed like $2,500 down. It was an easy one. And then me and my partner at the time were the successful bidders and I worried about the money after. So Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the jump off a cliff and build that. Uh, what's it? Build the parachute on the way down. Or on the way down. Yeah. Build the plane on the way it, down. Yeah. yeah. Exactly what we did. So let's fast forward a little bit. Can you tell us where you are now? How many units do you have? What kind of different investments have you accumulated over the years? Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. This show made me actually look at it. And I, the other day when uh, I was emailing you, I was off. I, I actually tallied them up. So now traditional multifamily. I'm up to 84 units. I think I told you 60. Wow. So I just miscounted by 20 something. <laughs> just, so, just 24 <laughs> units, whatever. I forgot yeah, about 20, that. 24, uh, you know, anything, the largest is a 26 unit down to a duplex. So 84 units and then a nice commercial class A office building where I'm sitting now. This is where our property management headquarters are. So this is a, you know, Class A office building. So other than us, you've got law firms, financial institutions, nice building, and as well as a 67 room motel. So now I've gone from sitting at an auction, trying to get a three unit to 84 units, a commercial and a, a motel. That's awesome. So, yeah. okay. so I want to dig into the motel because I remember you telling me a bit about the motel last time we hung out. Uh, is that going to be the deep dive today or is that... Yeah. So, okay, you, we'll you, save it for you that. Spoiled the, you spoiled the punchline <laughs> there. But yeah, that's the that's probably the most interesting one. Yeah. All right. So I want to get into that later, but we'll we'll come back to that because that is a lot of fun. All right. So you started picking up these properties. That first one, you said, was that a single family house? That very first deal? No, uh, it, was was a a three unit. Okay, it was a three okay. unit. It was a three unit at an auction, a boring auction, nothing exciting at courthouse steps. It was in a law firm's office. I'd never done it before. I was really uncomfortable. I just sat in there and and there was only one other bidder and you go back and forth. And yeah, that was it. So that, do you remember what you and paid from for? there? Yeah, I do. It was a three unit. And again, one of the reasons I was fortunate was I started purchasing when the market was not what it is right now. So this was 2012. Okay. And uh, I paid 70,000, but I knew it was just bizarre because the person across the table from me was talking to me about all the renovations he'd probably have to do. And I think he was a flipper and he, and there was, cause there was no public viewing of the property. And I was the only one that knew this is a turnkey, nice operation. So there was no renovations to be had. So we paid 70000 for an up and running 
three unit building. So it was a, wow. it was a, it was a home run. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It, good, good it just takes, it takes one home run to get the momentum going. Right. So once you have one good one, it becomes a lot easier from there. All right. So you got this first property, you decided that, you know, it's working out pretty well. When did you, you know, I want to go into more properties, but when did the property management business come in? Like how, how many did you have before you started your own property management and how did that come out? Yeah. So that started growing. And what happened for me was my uh, business partner now who had hired me, he had hired me with uh, an understanding that he was looking to actually get out of property management. He had maybe 150 uh, to 200 units under management at the time. He's a successful commercial broker. So he was looking to just focus more on that. He has some of his own properties. And I think at the time he was just burnt out of property management. And then when I started working for him, I was young and hungry and we just kept picking up more units and it went fast from maybe 200 to today we have over 1500. So oh, wow. it's, it's grown quite a bit. So, so that transition from instead of me someday taking it over, I think it kind of relit like a fire in him and he started enjoying it again and we have fun. And to this day, we, we ended up uh, just becoming 50-50 partners instead. And it's, it's been pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. All right. So you kind of you kind of grafted your way into an existing management company, took it yes. to a whole new level, yeah. and then now the guy's enjoying it as well. Is he still? I mean, he yeah. still works in the business. Do you both work in the business, or how does that play out? We both work in the business. I like to tease him that he air quote works in the business, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's here every day. And yeah, we're both in the property management business still every day. The Honestly, the, the business has grown to a point where we don't do much day to day, though. Honestly, we have a pretty sweet gig. We, we love coming to the office. We love being around the people we work with. So we're still here. But a lot of the stuff that we used to do, you know, taking the calls, chasing tenants, renting, we more both just oversee it, yeah. run reports and make sure that everything's done. So that's cool. Yeah, now it's a good place so to I be. Wanna- I want to ask you, how did you recognize this is someone I could be a good partner with? What is it about that person you saw and you said, I want to partner with them, I think would be a good team? That's a great question. I think it was just through a series of events. You know, when you get into different situations with somebody and you realize they have similar judgment as you. So whether it was looking at a new business opportunity, he had something similar to me where we both don't sweat the small stuff. If you're ever going to be in a business partnership, that's the biggest thing I can preach is neither him or I ever get stressed or in fights about the small stuff. You, we both just kind of have a big picture on things. And that, that was just kind of it. We, I just found that we never, we never fought about little things. And he had one major quality similar to me where if there's an opportunity, he wasn't scared of it. Yeah, let's go do it. If there's some crazy guy with a beard from Washington who wants to look <laughs> at a mobile home park and we don't do tons of mobile home parks. Yeah, let's go look at it. Why not? You know, what's the worst that could happen? You know, so we, uh, we both just kind of had that mentality. We both have go to a lot of business opportunities that don't turn into anything, but it was worth going. So yeah, I, I, I just love that mentality in general, you know, like this idea of say yes to things or at least like yes. explore every option because you never know what's going to come of it. I told a story a few weeks ago about the whole reason that I have the mobile home park is because I said yes to coming out to New York to speak at some event, which ended up being a really, really horrible. I guess like my daughter got sick and it was a really like just stressful time because the whole the whole trip, my daughter was sick uh, anyway. But that deal led to me hooking up with Ryan and that led to connecting with you and connected getting the mobile home park and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Just because I was open to the opportunity. 
Uh, but so many people are just, you know, no, I can't directly see a benefit of doing that one thing. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. So anyway, I love having that just kind of abundance mentality. So I guess, David, do you want to jump in? I, I cut you off there. Well, yeah, Jesse, you mentioned that you you guys are both kind of hands off in the business right now. It's sort of running itself. And I know you also own a cleaning business as well as a property <laughs> management business, as well as all the units yeah. that you own. And I am intrigued by how you've set your business yeah. up so that you own a business. You don't have a job and you're working on the business, but you're not working in the business. Can you share with us a little bit about how you guys built this thing so that it's not something that's requiring all your time and attention yourself to make it profitable? Yeah, that's another good question. I think I, it's a simple answer that you just have to learn to do everything yourself first. I mean, and that's how I looked at it. I mean, whether the cleaning business, I, I never woke up one day and said, I, I, Hey, I want to, I want to have a big cleaning business. It was uh, an opportunity that presented it from property management. So we'd have clients that if you're managing the building, you're still the one getting all the calls, whether it's heating, lawn care, snow removal. And the first time that I was having trouble with the ninth cleaning company that wouldn't clean the common areas we were supposed to, I hired my own person. I said, you know, screw this. I'm just going to hire my own person. And then you do a good job and then somebody knows about it. And then somebody else asks you, Hey, will you give us a quote to do it? You go do it. And then I quickly realized though, I don't want to do that forever. Keep running around supervising cleaners. So it's, it's not the easiest thing. Like anybody with a growing business would tell you scaling the business is the biggest challenge. But at some point you have to be willing to take a financial step backwards to take, you know, two steps forward. And that's, that's what we've done. So it's grown to where, we have large cleaning accounts that have on-site supervisors. I've got some managers over them and uh, yeah, it's grown to where we have over 50 full-time employees just in the cleaning. And wow. yeah, it got to the point where I ended up looking for a good like general manager because it needed that kind of help. But again, that's, that's a financial step back for me. I mean, you're not going to pay someone minimum wage to run an operation like that. <laughs> so I was surfing around LinkedIn and I headhunted a few people and actually just poached uh, some people that were in the business much longer than me, interviewed some people and found somebody who had been the general manager of a larger cleaning company as well for years. And now he's kind of doing that for me now. So yeah, but that's the challenge. On that note, what have you found successful in terms of, I mean, you obviously built this cleaning business now that has other people running it. You built the property management business. You have your own real estate deals. Like what kind of tips you have for people that are saying, well, I want to start hiring people. I want to find good people to run my business. What's worked really well for you or what's worked really bad? Yeah, I would say I put an abnormal amount of effort into the hiring process. The person who does HR for me now, she tells me I'm insane um, because <laughs> I mean, I, that's all the effort you put into hiring and then everything else works out. I mean, I'll interview as many people as it takes uh, for a position. I'll phone interview. If you one simple position, it could be a receptionist and I might have to talk to 25 people on the phone. You might have to interview six people in person, check all the references. If you're not excited about hiring them, don't do it. Just start over. And I'm pretty insane on the hiring process. And then it pays off though. If you come to our you know, headquarters here, that's probably what I'm most proud of is the people that are here. Um, a lot of them I think are smarter than me. You know, for example, guys like Ryan Murdoch used to be an employee here. Yeah. And, you know, I was very fortunate for the time he was here because we have talented people like that. So, yeah, that's insane awesome. amount I, of effort into hiring. 
that I, you're not the first person I've heard say that recently to me. Cause I, that's a, when I've hired people, it's usually like you have a pulse, you know, like, I mean, like I've hired good people, but like, I would say it's more been by accident. Like I've rarely hired like the few people I've hired and this goes for anyway, contractors or actual W2. Like I've rarely hired more than like two people ever for one role. Like it's like, you'll do, yeah. but I've heard like people say like, yeah, to hire really good people, like spend an absurd amount of time on that. Like really like mm-hmm. dive in. So how, I mean, how do you, I don't know. Is it just like an excitement thing? Like you like, man, I'm excited about this person. Like they fit everything. Like, cause I tend to just go, yeah, I think they'll be fine is what I say to people all the time. Yeah. I think they'll be fine instead of like, they're going to be the best person ever. Or is that what it is that you will not hire them unless they're the best person ever? Yeah, I'd say the best person ever, unless you just are, this person is going to be awesome. And, uh, you know, that's what helps because if your organization is going to grow, then the people that you have, you get really lucky because you don't, they grow with you. I mean, we have people here that are doing a lot. Um, One of the guys, for example, that's become a property manager slash uh, leasing agent and has a much more serious role here now. He used to work maintenance for us, you know, and I'm talking cleaning out nasty apartments in the van maintenance. And, <laughs> and as we grew and we could, and we used to only have one full-time leasing person and I was, and I, and I saw a need for another one. He was an all-star. So we just, we brought him, uh, brought him on, on board. He's been doing great. Same thing. Person who's, who was being our front end uh, receptionist person. She now runs all of our homeowners associations. We manage quite a bit of large homeowners associations in the area and she's rock star at that too. So almost everybody on our team has uh, grown with the organization. So that makes it pretty fun. You know, this, this principle of hiring, I mean, you hit it right on the head, Jesse, is it is extremely laborious and labor intensive. You have to be so picky. My first year at Keller Williams, I was a rookie of the year for my office. And I found out that I missed rookie of the year for the entire company, like worldwide <laughs> by about the equivalent of four to six houses in my area. If I would have sold four to six more, I would have been the top agent in all of Keller Williams. And I did not because I spent probably half of my time, half of it was in production and half of it was actually looking for help, hiring an admin, training an admin. Yeah. I've gone through like five people in my first year that I hired, gave a try and, and they failed. And I learned a ton, but the main thing I learned is just good is not going to cut it. Like they have to be stellar. And I'm, I'm thinking of all these investors that are, that have a bad experience and then they quit and say, yeah, real estate investing wasn't for me. The agent was, wasn't good. The property manager company wasn't what I thought. The rehab guy ripped me off. And you ask them like, well, how did you find them? And they're like, oh, I found them on Yelp. I Googled a name yep. and it was the first company <laughs> I saw, right? Like these principles apply to everything. They don't just apply to building a business. In your investing yep. business, you got to talk to a lot of agents to find the one that actually knows how to work with investors. You got to talk to a lot of contractors to find the one that understands you're trying to do this as cheaply and as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And you're okay if they have to do this on the weekends or nights or something like that. They don't answer their phone all the time. It takes work to find those good people. But every business, whether it's real estate investing or something else, is built on the people you put around you. Yeah, that's so true. One of the things that I look back on my life, when I look back, like people ask me, what would you do differently? Or, you know, looking back on my career, the last like 12 years, you know, I flipped a lot of houses and I bought a lot of rental properties. What if I would have spent like, four months solid back like 12 years ago, like finding a rock star contractor. I mean, just like the world's best contractor and built a really good relationship and paid him really, really well. Maybe even brought him in house. Like what, like that would have affected the next 12 years of stress and drama. Now, granted he may not have stayed and I would have had to hire someone again, maybe later. But the point being like, had I done the work up front instead of just, Oh, I found him on Craigslist. That guy has a pulse. He'll do. (laughs) 
If I would have yeah. just yeah set yeah. it up correctly in the beginning, it's like the whole analogy of a the, you know if I could, if I was going to chop down a tree in six hours, that's been the first four hours sharpening my axe, sharpening the axe. Yeah, yeah. right. Like yeah. yeah, I think hiring anybody, and this applies to everything, right? Contractors, yeah, employees, anybody in your life, the work you do up front will pay out dividends for years and years yeah. and years to come. Yeah. And I don't want to act like I'm a hiring genius because I've made my mistakes, <laughs> you know, and it's funny. You look back, I hire someone and I don't realize it all the time that they're not the perfect fit, but maybe six months later yep. after your life has become super stressful and you replace the person and you find the right person. It's like two weeks later, you're like, wow, this really wasn't that difficult. I just didn't have the right person. And it's hard to recognize it sometimes. And I haven't always done that, but it's when you get the right person in there, your life is just so much better, so much different. Do you have any tips for letting people go? I mean, like, let's say you find somebody, you, you put them on the bus and you find out they're not the right person to be on your bus. And so like, what do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I've tried to get better. I don't know who said it, but they, you know, all the experts say fire fast, right? And I've tried to get better at that because once you've had people with you for a long time, there is no good way to fire them. I mean, you can, it's, it's not going to be fun. You know, you, it's just yeah. not, but if you get better, I know luckily in our office on the management level, I don't, I haven't had turnover, but on the entry level positions, you know, if you're going to be a custodian or a maintenance person, we've gotten a lot better at firing fast. You know, people have 30 day trials and that's the time to figure it out. And that's the time to watch them like a hawk and just make a decision. And it, it's tough, but you know, we have to do it. You know, you just tell somebody this wasn't a good fit and you move on. You know, for everybody listening to this, I hope that what you're taking out of it is there are lots of businesses everywhere that need good people. And yeah. if you can become a good employee, you can like name your price and you can get whatever you want. I tell my employees all the time that work for me, I want to pay you $100,000 a year. Let me help you become so valuable to me that I pay you that or more, right? Like, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. I mean, I, I would say that's, that's probably been the, that was the thing in my whole entrepreneurial journey was the guy that I was working for, now my business partner, he had so many things going on. He, he was an entrepreneurial guy. and. I just saw opportunity selfishly for myself that I could make myself invaluable to this person mm -hmm. because he had his hand in so many things, but not all of them were organized well or going as well as they could be. So luckily I was young and I would work, didn't matter seven days a week. If just do what needs to be done. If, if he had, if he had a fire to put out three hours away on some property, the bank wanted him to go take a look at and he couldn't be there. I would just do it, you know, with no complaints and, when you do that for anybody, I mean, and now I'm in that seat that people that would make themselves invaluable to me, you know, same idea. There, there's no limit to what they could do professionally here. Um, there, there's so much opportunity, so much mm -hmm. opportunity. If you have that mentality of I'm just going to go do it for them and I'm going to do it better than they did. And yeah, you'll, mm -hmm. you'll learn and you'll have questions that you need to learn. But if your purpose is I want to make your life better, not, hey, I want to be wealthy. You figure out a way to pay me. And I just want to show up and be myself. I don't want to have to learn anything or change anything. That's the problem that I find with most people that say, David, I want to learn from you. Brandon and I talk about this all the time when we say, what can you do? And they're like, I don't know. Tell me what you need. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for someone that can come in and say, I'm really good at all these things. Let me do it for you and let me prove myself. And if you take that humble attitude of, I'm going to show you how valuable I am. I'm telling you, doors open for you everywhere. That's how Jesse got yeah. in bed with this partner that he's got. You know, I mean, and largely that's how Brandon and I became friends. You know, like that's how the best relationships are formed is you say, I want to serve this person and you go in and show it. And they say, crap, I would never want to lose them. I need you now, yep. right? <laughs> Here, take, have all this, have half my yep. business, have half what's going on. And 
you create your own opportunity. So I love that. And I, and I hope people take that to heart seriously, that the world is not against you. There's no conspiracy to keep you down. It's actually the opposite. Like there is a huge need for people that give a crap and are going to work really hard to be that great employee. And if you could be that person, you can have anything you want. So Jesse, uh, after that triplex, I know we got off a little bit on our, on our bunny <laughs> trail there. What, what did you do next? Like what, what was your mindset and what kind of properties were you looking for after you bought that first one? After that, I just, I got the, you know, I got the itch. So that first year, I'm just looking at a list I had right here. I didn't even realize it. This, this has been a good exercise for me to write stuff down. Yeah. I didn't realize I did three deals that year. And that, so that first deal, I didn't have all the money to do it myself. And that's when my same uh, business partner that I use, that I'm with in the management business, I went to him for help financing and it was a home run. And so of course he wanted in on it. It was a great deal. Uh, And then since then, I don't think him or I knew that we were going to start buying properties together, but we had fun in that process and it was a home run. And then after that, we bought another, it was a two unit right after that. Uh, And it was actually, so it was the same client. So I was on the lookout after that. So it was one of my clients that their stuff was going to auction. So I bought another duplex after that. And then it was great because he had at the time before this lost some interest in you know, multifamily investing for whatever reason he had stopped doing it. And uh, a bank that we have a good relationship with all in the same year had called him about a really, it was a really rough 16 unit building that they were going to foreclose on. And the city was close to shutting down the building. And they had reached out to us first to see if we would become the ones in receivership of the property. And we went and looked at it. And because we had just had fun doing a couple deals together, he said, what about this? Should we talk to the bank about making an offer on this? And I was like, yeah, why not? So that was the third deal all in, all in that year. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely noticed this theme of like, uh, and not just with you, but with a lot of investors, this momentum, right? Like that first deal is really mm-hmm. hard to overcome. You might spend 20 years thinking about getting into real estate or, you know, or a few years, or a few months, whatever. <laughs> but once you get it, it's like, okay, well, I got, like you said, I got bit by the bug. Now I'm going to go buy my next yeah. one. This is why we always push people like, I don't know, push people is the right word, but encourage people, just go get that first deal. Like get it done. Stop yep. talking about it, thinking about it, wishing you were going to do it and trying to get the perfect, absolute home run deal. I mean, you had a home run yep. deal your first deal, but even if it would have been just a, a base hit deal, it probably would have been yeah. that momentum needed to go to the next one. Yeah. And then, and then after that, I became spoiled because the property management business was growing. And I was just developing so many relationships that then more deals were coming to me. I started having clients that I had built good relationships with who they were looking to get out for whatever reason. And I was the first call. And then that's been a theme. And that's kind of a theme of my investment uh, portfolio is the advantage of being in the business where I'm, I'm kind of the first person to hear about stuff. And that's just kind of a good tip for anybody. They don't have to start a property management company, but being in the business, whether you're a contractor, a realtor, property manager, you, you know people and you, you know what's going on. So then I had multiple deals that way. And, and what was good about that is buying from some of my clients, these were people that had more experience than me. And they actually helped educate me on some of the different types of financing, the different types of owner financing, them taking a second mortgage or whatever it may be. And, that, and the momentum just kept going from there. Well, so let's talk about that. What, what types of financing have you used now over these 80 some units? Uh, what are some yeah. of the different things you've done? So after, those, after that first year, I had a stretch in a row of some clients that talked to me about purchasing. And I said, yeah, I'd like to buy the building. 
but I don't know if I could do it. And we did some owner financing. I had one person who want who it was his decision to do a hundred percent owner financing. He just liked the idea of it. And that's, I guess it helps to have the relationship, but we did a hundred percent financing. He, he was retired and he wanted the steady um, return yep. on his money. So to him, he just liked the, I think we did 5% at the time. So he just liked the 5% return. And to this day, I still pay him on that property. And it's been tempting because I'd actually like, there's a lot of equity there and the market's appreciated. So I'd like to refi, but uh, he doesn't want me to. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, why, why? I mean, it was a good deal for both of us. So I did some of that. And then as the property management business grew and the cleaning business grew, and I was fortunate to be financially strong, I've done more, just putting 25% down because properties look a lot more attractive when you have 25% 25% down. Yes. So I just like making a return, you know? So. so do you, do you work with the same bank now every time you buy something? Do you shop around trying to find the very best rate? How do, how do you handle that? Yeah, good question. Primarily the same bank. I have, there's, there's been a second bank that I've worked with, but local banks, I'm a big fan of that relationship banking. So, you know, your commercial loan officer, and sometimes you might be able to get a quarter point better somewhere else. And that's good for some people. I like working with the same people. They're usually very competitive um, and it's easier to get things done and get things done fast. So local yeah. banks. Yeah, I, for me. I totally agree. I'm like, I, I generally like don't, and maybe this is a, I don't know. Some people might criticize this, but like, I don't even hardly look at uh, interest rate ever when I'm going for a loan. Like I have, I'm closing on, yeah. a, on a, on a triplex today. I have no idea my interest rate, none. I never asked once. And like, yeah. I know, I I guess like, I know it's like sub five. I know it's below five. And so I'm like, it's fine. Like it might make my payment, but it was like, I would rather work with people I like, like banks I like working with and lenders I like working with than get the very rock bottom lowest rate. Yeah. You know, what I find is that the the people that are really successful at anything they do tend to have Brandon's uh, mentality. I, I, I never hear the people who are just crushing it that are worrying about really small details like their interest rate or, you know, like, and then you see newbies that are like, they'll talk to 19 different banks to find the one with the absolute lowest rate. And they'll go with some online company that doesn't have any customer service. Yeah. And like this, it, I see this as a real estate agent because then something goes wrong and we're trying to get the deal to close. And the, the person lives in India and they're on a different time schedule. They don't answer their phone yeah. and they don't care if the deal doesn't close because you're one of 400 people. And that's why they're so cheap is they're just doing a lot of volume. There's something to be said for understanding what's the 20% of actions that give you 80% of the results and sweating the interest rates. Not one of those things. If, yeah. no, if Brandon not. not worrying about the rate gets him <laughs> another 50 deals over the course of his life, he's way better off for having that mentality than the person who never took action because they were stuck on those really small details. And I think you, Jesse, like running the business that you're running at the operation, the size you are, you probably had to learn the same thing is like, yeah, it will irritate me when little things don't get done, but is it worth letting that slow me down from growing? Yeah. Well, I actually, we paid, it's funny. We had a loan that was 5.75% and I don't think we knew it for a year. And, uh, (laughs) and we like, we casually complained to our loan officer once and he was like, yeah, it's a little high. Let me, let me see what I can do. And he, and then he brought it down for us a little bit. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to totally try that. So, so yeah. on that note, one thing like, you know, we talk about the interest, another lesson, a huge lesson I learned, and maybe you, uh, if you learned this well, or maybe you don't, but I used to look for the lowest insurance as well. I would switch insurance every year or so. And cause they told me, you know, shop yeah. around every year, your rates go up, which they mm-hmm. do. But like, I all of a sudden had like four different insurance companies with things expired at different times and I wouldn't renew one. And like, once mm-hmm. I found out I went like six months without any insurance on a property at all. And like, 
that kind of stuff, like I learned that's just not worth doing it. So I have one, yeah. I have one agent now. He handles a hundred percent of my stuff and every problem just goes to him. And you can actually go yeah. back into my old forum posts, like on bigger pockets from years and years ago. And I'm just sitting there like railing about how much I hate insurance. And I think even <laughs> when the, we started the podcast five years ago, I used to talk about that today, Caleb back home, back home insurance, Montesano, everything. Like he just does everything. Yeah. We're, I'm the same way. Me and my partner both, we have an insurance agent and if I don't like the price, I mean, I know enough now to know what stuff should cost. And if I don't like it, I'll just shoot him a quick email and maybe he was not on top of it. And then he'll go back to shopping around and talking to people yep. and then he'll get back to me and do like, yeah, you're right. They had the deductible too low on this and too much on this and blah, 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 and gets it down, down to where it should be. So I don't have time to be on hold with yeah. All state or whoever for you just got to go to your agent. And that's you guys talk about that a lot on the show, which I I'm a big proponent of when you guys talk about building a team, you know, I've, you know, having I've got uh, a good CPA, a good attorney, a good insurance agent. And that way you're just one quick email away from someone who cares uh, enough to help you. What Brandon yeah. and I do is when we're faced with these problems, we ask ourselves, does this feel heavy or does this feel light? And it's a way of like yeah. if, if you have a problem that comes up, you're like, oh. Yeah, I can fix that. And you're excited about it. That's the stuff you should be doing. It doesn't feel like work. It isn't draining you. If you're like, oh my God, I have to do this again. And it's like really a 30 minute or 30 second phone call. That's just not something you should be doing. You know, like we all have things that we enjoy and we have things we don't. There's people to do the stuff you don't enjoy. And if you're doing too much of that, you're going to lose your hunger and your drive and your desire. And it's going to cost you so much money over the yeah. long term. Mm -hmm. So that's a question Brandon and I will use when we're talking about something. We're like, how does this make you feel? And if it's do this feels heavy, like, I don't know why, but just picking up my phone to make that call. The phone feels 500 pounds. Okay, let's find someone else to do that. We'll focus yeah. on the stuff that we yeah. enjoy. Yes. So, so I have a question for you, Jesse. What's the <laughs> worst deal that you've ever done? The worst deal. So none of them, I've been forced and none of them were bad, but I do have one that didn't go according to plan. It was uh, two duplexes side by side and they needed a ton of work. So that's kind of a theme for me is finding these properties that are good deals, but you got to do the heavy lifting. You know? yep. So they, they needed work and the seller agreed to uh, owner finance it because my plan was it was I was going to save my money instead of putting 25% down. I wanted him to carry the note so that I could save my cash to put into the building. And I had this plan for the four units. I think I had calculated like $50,000 worth of repairs, one side of one roof, some foundation issue, heating, and the units were all occupied, but they were really bad. So, but they were paying. So I was like, I had this, I remember I had this spreadsheet, you know, saved. I could probably find it where I was going to have to pay something like $8,000 a year for the, you know, in repairs and maintenance I had budgeted for the, you know, the next six years. And instead, everything on my list that I thought would go wrong in those eight years went wrong in the first six, you know, six months. So <laughs> Been there. I put, yeah. I put almost $50,000 into the building out of my own money in the first like six months. And looking back on it now, Financially, it's good, but that first six months was a real, you know, kick in the stomach. So everything yeah. I thought would go, I, you know, the furnace was old, but I thought it was going to give me a couple of years. It gave me a couple of weeks, you know, yep. the roof that I thought I didn't see any major leaks, but it was old. Uh, I thought that was going to give me another year. It gave me another day, you know, so all these <laughs> things went wrong. And then two of the tenants moved out right when I bought it. And I planned on, I think I was like, well, and they'd been there a long time, so they shouldn't both move out in the first six months. But they did. So then they needed, you know, total rehab. So I'm just sitting there 
shaking my head and questioning my decision. So that was the worst one. You know, if, if you have, and that's a moral to when you buy these no money down deals, they can work, but you have to have some reserves. You know, yep. you can't, you can't be over leveraged. And then when things go wrong, you have no, no money. So luckily I had some reserves to get through it. I hated it. But now looking back, if I run the numbers now that I've owned that one for uh, four years, it's all good. But it was a really crappy six months. So yeah, that would, I, I'd be the worst one overall. I, I found the same is true when you buy these fixer uppers. A lot of times, like I, I would look at them and think, well, this has got a number of years left. We'll do that later. But almost every time I just end up having to do it all right away. Like, I don't know. There's just something like the spirit of, <laughs> of remodeling that takes over the property. And it's like, well, let's just fix everything then at that point. Uh, that said, like the properties where I go through and just thoroughly fix them up. I mean, make them all mm-hmm. good at the beginning. You knock out all the rehab at one time. And now you might go years without a problem. I mean, I have properties right now. I haven't even like sent a single contractor over there for six, seven years. Cause like it just, it was all done right at the beginning. And that, those are my best properties typically. Cause it's not wearing me down. Another reason we like yeah. the burst strategy so much. I know all three of us do a bit of that. Yes. Where yeah. You fix them up ahead of time. You have reduced maintenance and repairs for years. So yes. super cool. All right. So yes. let's go and talk about, uh, you know, it's, not often we have an actual property manager here on the show. So I want to pick your brain on a few property management topics. Sure. And obviously you're not the one, you know, answering phone calls anymore, but you still know how the businesses run. Obviously, you know, you're following your systems. I hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hope in uh, my mobile home park uh, depends on that. So what, like, (laughs) why do you think, why do you think like, what are the things that separate you and your company from all the other property management companies that are not, I mean, there might be other good ones in your market, but there's a lot of bad ones everywhere. So what makes yeah. a good property manager a good property manager? Whew. That's a good question. I, and honestly, like I joke with a lot of our clients that we're not that awesome, but everybody else is terrible. Uh, <laughs> and, and they all agree, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. I think we're awesome, but um, I wish I knew why there's so many bad ones because there really is in, in our area too. I mean, sorry for anybody who's listening in this area, but um, you're not very good. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't know. I would say that one thing we do is we try to treat, we just have a mentality philosophy that uh, our client, just treat them like you would if it's your own. And, and, and honestly, I mean, the property management business isn't a huge cash cow all the time. I mean, not everybody can afford to pay you know too much for management. So maybe for us, we're lucky that both my partner and I like the networking aspect of it. And we both like to invest in properties. And that's a big uh, carrot for us being in the property management business. But I just don't think there's enough people that run it the way they would if it was their properties. And that's just how we analyze each one. And and then I don't know, for whatever reason, if it's a industry that not enough modern, high tech, smart uh, entrepreneurs have gotten into. Because, for example, I know a major thing for us in uh, springboarding the number of units we could handle was adding good property management software. And, you know, I did a sales presentation to somebody yesterday in our office uh, on the on the I have a nice uh, kind of big screen TV that I could show them on. And I was showing them an example of like our property management software owner portal and the different reports they could run and the things they could see. And they were just fascinated by that. And I don't know that enough, it's not that complicated, but not enough people are doing that. So yeah, it's definitely an industry ripe for disruption, I guess. Uh, in oh, a lot huge. Of ways. Yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so bad. We have a lot of calls from people that have property two hours away from us that want us to do it. And I'll say no, because I, I don't see a way on some of them to do it, but they, they're like, there's nobody in my area and they're two hours away and, and they're still asking for help. So it's, uh, there's a lot so, of opportunity in, in the industry. 
So what do you do if you're trying to find a good property manager, but you don't know what to look for? What kind of questions do you think someone should ask to figure out if they're a Jesse or if they're uh, everyone else? Great question. I mean, besides the obvious of, do you have any references? I mean, it's amazing how, just like you said, you're trying to find a contractor, how many people don't even check references and, and, and just do a little bit of due diligence. What type of properties does their reference have? Actually talk to their reference. And then ask them some questions about how do they handle their maintenance? How do they how do they handle their financial reporting? I mean, so many of them that I know are in this area call themselves, you know, property managers, but it's like a guy in a truck with a lawnmower. Yep. So that's not a property manager. I, I guess I would just uh, go visit their operation. This doesn't mean you have to be with some big fancy company, but I mean, do you have the internet? I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> step one, <laughs> talk to these people, you know, because, and, you know, ask them in particular how they handle all the little details. Just ask them one, one step at a time. You know, how are you renting the unit? How are you showing it? How are you screening tenants? If somebody gives you a security deposit, what are you doing with it? Where are you putting it? You know, just the little logistics of it matter. So, yeah. You know, one thing that really, I'll, I'll tell you what really impressed me when I, when I came to your office. So I came out there to look at the mobile home park, right? Then Ryan took me into your office and, you know, I love the fact that was a nice office, first of all. Like it was very welcoming. I thought, okay, well, tenants will like this. That's great. Yeah. And we walked around. I looked at the property management software management. And I was like, okay, well, they know what they're doing with management. I can go and see reports. That's great. But what really got me was your key room. You know, like, <laughs> like and here's yeah. why. Like you have yeah. like this, so like Jesse has this room of like, the most organized key system I've ever seen. It's really, yeah. really awesome. But like- The whole room. Yeah. The whole room. Yeah, it's, it's it is unbelievable, all right? Yeah. <laughs> but what I loved about it was it told me you were a systems guy. And that's yes. what that's what impressed me. Is it's like mm-hmm. the problem with it is property managers, I believe, spend way too much time reading property management books and not enough reading business books, right? And that's kind of a, a analogy, right? But like to be good at business, like to own a good bakery, you don't need to be good at baking. You need to be good Correct. at business. To own a good right. plumbing company, you don't need to be a good plumber. You need to be good at running a plumbing business. I really um, say McD- yeah. McDonald's hot dog, uh, McDonald's hamburgers aren't good, right? But yeah, but we like the yeah. systems. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's what that's what I look for most in a property manager is what, what kind of systems do they have? And I've had some property managers that I, I thought would be really great. They didn't. They weren't. They're were horrible because they didn't have any yeah. systems. Like they didn't have any. Yeah. Like everything was like fly by the seat of their pants. Is that a phrase? I just make that up. That's a phrase, right? (laughs) Anyway, like they would just like make decisions on the fly, right? Like, and they didn't have a process. And that's like, there's one thing that I I tried to communicate when uh, my wife, Heather and I wrote that book, uh, the book on managing rental properties. It was like Mm -hmm. every single piece of your business should be systematized and processed and and documented. Uh, So like you can, I mean, like there are no, like there are no decisions made on the fly. Everything is is, anyway. So that's one thing that impressed me about you. So Good job oh, thank with the you. Yeah, the, the key room is awesome. So, and that's <laughs> uh, awesome. anybody who's been in property management, like, like any system you're building, it starts with doing something you hate and it causing you a ton of stress. And then just thinking, how can I make sure this never happens again? Yes. And for me, that was like the 10th time that I was somewhere with no keys locked out with a plastic bag of 106 keys. <laughs> <Yep>. And, uh, <laughs> And I just vowed this moment will never happen again. So <laughs> yep. that's really, that's when yeah. all the best systems are created. Like that's how so many times. Yeah. Cause that's like, yeah. you're so right Dave, about that. <laughs> yeah. right? to, go, to go back to David's thing. It was like, does that feel heavy? Like every time when I, cause I do the same thing, plastic baggie full of 50 keys. And I'm like, that feels so heavy and so irritating. It gets me so angry that like, yeah. 
And I have not said, instead, I just ended up hiring property managers because I was like, I'm just not going to do open doors anymore. That was how it made it light for me. I was like, I'm never going to open another door again, ever. Yeah. Uh, the other part with yeah. uh, systems is, is a big thing that I've learned is accountability. So you need to know in all these processes how you can track who dropped the ball. And that's not just to get people in trouble. It's, it's just to learn from it. You know, why did, yeah. why did this mistake happen? Where did it break down? So every, every, everybody in your uh, organization should know who's responsible. So if a key's something as simple as a key is missing, you should have a system in place. You can track who had the key last. You know, yeah. was it the guy showing the apartments? Was it the maintenance guy? Was it the plumber? Was it the person at our front desk? Accountability is huge for systems. So. Yeah, that's so, so true. So yeah, I wrote, I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago. I'll see if I can dig it up and put it in the show notes. But it was basically called, I think what the title was, if you're unhappy, your systems are broke. And it was basically the idea that in any area <laughs> of your life where like something stresses you out, it's because your system isn't working right. And if you had a good yes. system, it wouldn't stress you out. I mean, obviously yeah. like that's not true for like, you know, my, my daughter hates me kind of thing. Like, but like in yes. business area of your life, yes. something stresses you, your system sucks. And the good news is you can fix it. Yeah. And, and for property management, going back to your question, David, about what questions to ask in this day and age, if you have a, a decent portfolio, I would say the number one question you should ask is what software are they using? Find somebody who has a good software because then you can have any report you want. You can have days vacant. You can have delinquency, uh, anything you need at your fingertips. And that for me, I know if it was me, if I got to the point where I was traveling around the world, like, you know, you two big timers, then that's what I would be doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you I, go. What, what software so. yeah what do you guys use rent, rent manager right we use rent manager yeah okay yep yeah i've used that one now i've used buildium i've used appfolio i think i'm liking a rent manager probably the best yeah because I, I like your i don't use it personally but i use it the report the owner portal through you guys yeah through my other ohio property and uh yeah i like the way that's laid out um, but yeah i mean rent, they all kind of uh, work Another tip for anybody starting off small, uh, rent managers, I think the most scalable for cost because you pay per uh, license. So cool. you can, you can if you're just a one person show, you could still afford the small monthly payment because you just need one license and then it makes it easier to, to get started that way. I don't know why rent software is so freaking hard to understand. I cannot be the only person out there in the world who gets no, reports I hate from the it. property manager. Yep. And it's like, I have to do work to understand what I'm even reading. Like mm -hmm. it is the worst user interface. I, I open it up and I can maybe find the property address. And then it's got the, the tenant's name like seven mm -hmm. different times with different, different debits and credits. And I cannot mm -hmm. tell if, if something's wrong or if that's the way it's supposed to look. And then you ask your property manager and like, Oh yeah, it's all in the statement. Just pull it up and just, just read yep. it. And it's like, it's like telling me to go read like a legal <laughs> form, you know, like yeah. I don't know what this Latin means. I can read it, but it, my brain doesn't comprehend it. And yeah. yeah, whoever solves that problem first of like, this is just <laughs> normal. You just pull it up and see exactly what you're looking at is going to dominate that entire market. It's so frustrating. I can't be the only one. <laughs> and we never really talked about that before. I don't that's think. Funny. Yeah, yeah no, and that's why right. I would, when you ask your property manager what they're using for software, make sure it's something that's web-based because most of the web-based software, like Appfolio is not bad. Rent Manager is my favorite. They update their program each year. So it's at least it's yeah. an improving process. It's not yep. just one old DOS system that's never going to change. They <laughs> They come up. Yeah. They come up with upgrades. So they'll email you that. There's, yeah, that there's, <laughs> so that there's been an upgrade. So 
what's funny about that is though that I don't think I've ever mentioned this to anybody, but I recently actually in well, I sort of hired or or enlisted for pay Ryan Murdoch. So Ryan's my partner on my mobile home park. But my Ohio mm-hmm. property, I, I have the same problem. Every time I get these reports and I'm like, I gotta spend a half hour trying to understand them and then like it says repair and I have no idea what the repair is. So every week I gotta call the property manager and be like, what was that for? What unit? What was bad? Yeah. Didn't we do that already last month? I have no idea if they're yeah. ripping me off. I, I don't know anything. So I hired Ryan. I'm like, Ryan, I just want you to do what you do for the mobile home park. So send me yeah. an email every week in plain English, what's working, what's not. And so like, yeah. it's like, yeah, the rents all came in. This is what happened. This is what didn't happen. And I'm like, it feels light. It feels so good. <laughs> like that's do, what I do, need. Uh, do your people in Ohio know what's coming, that hell is coming with them, that Ryan will get to the bottom of it, and he <laughs> yes. is a real estate ninja? So, yeah, he, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. people. Yeah, he's yeah. actually going to be flying out there here in a couple of weeks. I actually had him fly out there. He's going to meet with the property manager and just, I was like, I just don't want to deal with that anymore. I'm going to have somebody like <laughs> yeah. who likes doing that work that feels light to Ryan. He's going to go mm-hmm. through, at least I hope so. He's going to go through there and do all the stuff that I don't want to. So I can go buy more mobile home parks or more apartment complexes or whatever, right? Do yeah. the things that make you feel light. Stop doing the things that make you feel heavy. That's the theme of today's show. All right, moving on. Yes. All right, so this, we're not quite done with the show yet. We had a couple more sections left. So the next, I want to move over to the new segment of the show called The Deep Dive. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9 to 5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Your competitors are fighting for your customer's attention. So how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it, because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, 
you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that can make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges, delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash BP. That's my1031pros.com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. It's time for the deep dive. So the deep dive is a part of the show where we dive deep into one particular deal and we ask you a series of questions to really get in depth on one of your uh, maybe good or one of your bad deals. I don't know. We won't find out until we get down to depth, as they say. So we need to get some more puns, by the way, for the deep dive. We'll work on that. So let's get down to it. (laughs) Um (laughs) <laughs> well, I, the first question is, what is the deal? We're going to talk about the, mo, I mean, the motel, mo, right? Mo, yeah, I think I'll just choose the motel because it's the most interesting and bizarre deal I've done where people might uh-huh. find it entertaining. So, All right. so how, call it the motel, the motel. How did you find the motel? Walk us through that. Uh, my electrician. So he was going, a mu- yeah. mutual electrician. He, he was doing all the work for the owner of the motel at the time. Okay. Does a lot of work for our property management company. Good guy. And he put us together. That person was having a lot of issues that he thought I might be some help to. So he basically called me for some free advice and I was helping him through it, build the relationship. So basically there was a lot of electrical issues that the city was not happy with there. And the code enforcement was coming down on him very hard. And he hadn't really been through that before. And I've been through that many times. So I just kind of gave him some counsel on that. And that's how I met the guy. So was this, like, tell us about the actual state of the motel before you got, I mean, this is good and nice. I mean, this is a, you know, Marriott or this is, you know, not that. I I would say the exact opposite of very nice. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Everything, everything I find requires a little bit of work, but that's where the deals are. Right. You know? So So this is the hotel that in my previous profession, we would have been doing a stakeout on to catch illegal activity basically. Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, so the property was in a nose dive and you yeah. stepped in because your electrician told you about it. That's awesome. Great job working yeah. that relationship. How that much nice did you pay pun. for it? So we paid 500,000. Okay. For how many, how many units was this motel? 67 room motel slash extended stay. So I, maybe this is a good time to ask this question. Like motel is a very different business model even though they, they seem like real estate is real estate, but it's not right. Motels are very different than owning real estate. At least that's how I always assumed it. Is that true? Like what made you want to jump into a motel versus keeping with just rentals? One, the challenge, it was interesting. And I saw, I mean, I saw nothing but upside. So anytime you have a, an opportunity to make something better than what it is, I mean, why not? You know? So yeah, the business model is very different. And what appealed to me was my background at the time, obviously, was property management. And I also, in a previous life, had worked as a manager for a resort management company. So I, I knew enough about that to be dangerous. Okay. And this place, this place had been running where 
half the rooms had like kitchenettes in it and a separate bedroom. So they were more like one bedroom or studio apartments. And the previous owner had been running half of the rooms as, uh, you know, basically long-term by the month rentals. And that was the cause of his problems because then he was getting into a whole new world. I guess in the past it hadn't been that way. He was doing nightly and weekly rentals. And now when he started doing lots of 30 day rentals, he had lots of code enforcement issues for the first time ever had to go through eviction processes and uh, did not like it anymore. So enter me. So there you go. (laughs) All right, cool. All right. Negotiation. How'd you negotiate anything uh, fun happened in that process? Yes. So so the negotiations, it was really hard to put a number on it because the city was literally close to shutting him down for not complying with a lot of the electrical because it it needed to be upgraded. People's breakers were tripping all the time. The fire uh, suppression system needed to be upgraded. And how how do you put a value on something that is in such a, a bad spot? You know, I mean, the city, the city was getting upset that the police were there so much. And but it's got a nice piece of real estate. It's on a busy road. So when we negotiated, we really just sat in a room together. And and keep in mind, backing up, he didn't call me to sell it. Uh, He called me for some help on different advice on on how to deal with some of these multi-unit issues, which he's uh, now running into. And from there, the conversation grew to where he doesn't like this project anymore. And then he started looking for other projects. And that's what created the opportunity. He found another motel in another part of the state he wanted to go focus on. So then he said, you know, would you be interested in buying? Sure. Why not? You know, like you guys said, say yes, say yes to things, you know, you you know, obviously I was skeptical. It it was a little bit intimidating, but that's kind of a, a theme for me, I think, is if it's intimidating or if you're not comfortable doing it, you should move forward. That's a good sign. You should move forward and try. Where did the 500 come from? Was that his number he threw out, your number you threw out? How did you come to that? So we sat in a room and I just talked about all my concerns. Uh, my business partner and I was with me and we, we talked about all our concerns. And we, we asked, and anytime you get somebody else to throw out the first number, there really wasn't a, uh, a fancy spreadsheet on this at all. Uh, we asked him to start and he said he would take, you know, he the key to this, you know, too, is he was looking to make something happen sooner than later. So he said, if, if we were able to close, um, relatively soon, he would take 500,000. And just at that point, our gut instinct with the location of it and the upside, we knew it would be, you know, a a lot of work involved in a rough road, but we knew that if you could scoop this up for 500, you you know, you can't say no. So, so he threw it, he threw it out there and we just said, sure, let's do it. So you realize you need $500,000. How did you come up with that? Who funded it? Good question. And this is where I I learned, again, the the power of of actually saving some money. And and I know a lot of the people on the show are are big into creative financing and owner financing and no money down deals and all that. That's great. And and I love all that stuff, too. But if, if you just keep working hard in whatever you're doing to still work towards you know, that uh, Dave Ramsey mentality of building some cash and less um, debt, you can put yourself in positions. And that's what I had done. So my partner and I, the only way we could make it close that as fast as he wanted was uh, we ended up paying cash for it. So first time I had done something like that. So we put down, you know, quite a bit of money. So you had to have some savings for something like that. Um, Yeah. 
Well, you bring up a good point. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'll at least bring it up is, yeah, real estate is not, I mean, yes, it's a way to, to build wealth and a way to invest wealth, but like, it's not the greatest way to make income. So I, I say that like, right. if you don't like your job, or you're not making much money at your job. Like, yes, you should invest in real estate, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't also go try to build a business as well, or do get a better job or, you know, move laterally over to something else that you can make more like right. you need to make good money or it sure yes. I should say it sure helps to make sure. good money. So that means yeah. starting a cleaning business and go start a cleaning business, right. build it up out, you know, be become the best cleaning business, make some money, save some money and go invest in real estate um, or exactly. go flip houses. That's a business as well. Like whatever you got to do, you, people are all like, well, yeah, I make, you know, $9 an hour and I want to <laughs> go and, and get, retire next year. It's like, well, that's going to be really tough. So yeah. Well, if you want a girlfriend, you can find one with a pizza stained shirt and food <laughs> in your beard, right? Like it's possible. You can just go like yes. really impress someone with your personality and maybe they'll see through all that. But if that's your goal, why would you make it harder on yourself by stinking and wearing nasty clothes? Like you could also change your shirt and you have a lot more luck. That's kind of the way I look at most investing. Like, yeah, you can do it with no money if that's your only option and you don't have another shirt. Okay. But having a good job where you make good money makes it easier to get financing. You'll feel less stress and less pressure to like hit a home run on your very first deal because you have a little bit of a cushion. And then as you grow, it starts to open up more doors. You know, that's what we see when Brandon and I talk to people is they started off slow and then they built momentum and that led to a cleaning business like we haven't talked about, but Jesse has that and a property management business. And that led to having a key room and people like Brandon were like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And it kind of kind of goes from there, right? So yeah, don't. It's, it's easier to find a girlfriend with a clean shirt. That's all I'm going to say. All right, Jesse, <laughs> nice. next. <laughs> what did you do with the property once you closed on it? So like most real estate people, we do like uh, getting some of our money back. So the first thing we did was meet with a local bank and see what we could do to refinance. And it's always fun to refinance after you've closed and you own the property. You know, it's, I've already bought it. It's mine. Yep. And we talked to them about our plans. And there was, there was a lot of uh, upgrades we wanted to do. and we did for the first time I had done this, it's like what I call the Burr strategy, but better. So we'll call it better than Burr is uh, <laughs> the bank was willing to give us a loan based on an appraisal that include. Well, so the appraisal would be based on uh, all of the repairs. So it's an, I call it an as completed loan. So the appraisal goes through and you provide him with quotes from contractors of what you're going to do to the property. And takes that into consideration with the quote. So, I mean, to the appraisal. So we got an appraisal of, it was a little over a million dollars came back on the appraisal. So again, the power of cash. So, I mean, this yep. person, and this person that was selling it, I don't want to make it sound like this person wasn't intelligent. He was a savvy entrepreneur. He just had something else he wanted to do. He wanted to cash out and he was good with that. He had owned it for a while yep. uh, and he knew he was giving us a deal. He was very fine with that. So this was no dummy we were buying from. So the appraisal came in at over a million. The first thing we did was uh, right away, had a list of projects, put over 100,000 right back into it. And then the property was cash flowing positive. We were going to put more money uh, of that from the, well, so we, let me back up. We, in the refinance, they gave us 80%. So million dollar appraisal, we get a check for 800,000 on a $500,000 property. Wow. Um, yeah, not a bad week. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so, awesome. Yeah, not a bad day. So Put a hundred thousand right back into it though, and then did and then did our thing we always do: clean up the property, get rid of the riffraff, get rid of the uh, previous regime. So the old manager was gone, the old maintenance guy's gone. Brought in our own people, and actually, to give him some credit, when we when we first did this, we we didn't have time to do my 
uh, insane due diligence of uh, hiring somebody. So I brought in the real estate ninja, Ryan Murdoch, to run it for a month. Nice. So he, he sat there for a month and unscrewed the place for us while I was hiring. He didn't want to be there forever. So he ran the place while I hired somebody to run it. And from there, the property started cash flowing positive enough that after what we decided to do was we don't really haven't taken much money out since then because the cash flow is going back into the building. Yep. But if you do the math, we, we had 800, uh, we paid 500, put a hundred into it. Then we each put a hundred thousand in our pocket. So, um, <laughs> that's great. So that was fine. We were happy with that. And now we really are just letting the property, any free money is just going right back into projects over there right now. Yep. So. Yeah, that's what we're doing on the mobile home park, as you know, as well. Like all the money that we're getting in cash flow just gets dumped right back in there, yep. you know, because we're just in a hurry to it. fix it all back up again. And then, like I said, it's like that we talked about earlier, right? Get everything yeah. running perfectly right away. And you hopefully have years of just unencumbered, beautiful cash flow. That's, that's the dream. The theory. That is the yeah. dream. So cool. I love it. All right. So the outcome, that was basically the outcome. So let's go. Last one. Lessons learned. What have you learned throughout this whole process? Good and bad. Two things. I would say the lesson learned was. Be good to your vendors because um, all the electrical work that was that was needed there. You can imagine which electrician we gave the work to once we once we bought the place. So yeah. be good to your vendors because be somebody that's good to work for because the people in the trade are connect. If they're good at their job, they're connected to a lot of people too, and they know what's going on in in the industry too. So uh, that was one thing I kind of learned. I, I never expected to get a deal from one of my uh, contractors, and he didn't just. It wasn't the reason he deserves a lot of credit is he kind of vouched for me too, because this person didn't know me, but he trusted his electrician. The electrician had done a lot of work for him over the years. Uh, and he said, Oh, this guy, Jesse's a good guy. You want to meet him. So be good to your vendors. And then I guess I kind of touched on it. The other thing I really learned from, I never thought I'd be somebody who would pay cash for a property that goes against a lot of, you know, the, uh, you know, using other people's money to get rich stuff that we all like to do. But, um, that was a big, you know, a lesson for me and why I since then work hard on saving up more cash too, because there may be a, a, a deal too good to miss if, and I'll be upset if I didn't have the cash there to do it. So this yep. was a great example of rock stars, no rock stars. Yeah. The rock star electrician you use vouch for you as a rock star. The guy who owned the property sold it to you at half of what it appraised for. And mm-hmm. you came out like a bandit because you surround yourself with talented people because you took the time in the beginning to vet and train the very best employees yep. and you set yourself up. So that's an awesome story of how it's supposed to, how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And I, one more point on before I move on to the fire round, uh, you mentioned you know, this guy, you know, he was a smart investor, the guy who sold it to you. Like he knew what oh, yeah. he was doing. And I want to bring up like, just, like good deals are not only found from like motivated, like sellers who are, you know, losing their house because of a divorce and foreclosure right. and whatever. Like sometimes the, like the end of one or the transition from an investor's like one phase of their life into another phase, it's worth it to them to get rid of a property Absolutely. to jump into another one. Right. So like, that's, what's fun about real estate. And what, another reason why I encourage people all the time to like, get together with other investors all the time, like at least once or twice a month, go to a meetup, meet with people, talk with them, find out what the the older or the more experienced investors are doing. They probably have properties that they're willing to unload so that they can Absolutely. move into the next phase of their life and let go. And like, then it's your phase. You're starting where they were, right? It doesn't mean it's a, a win-lose. Like real estate can definitely be a win-win. So cool. Absolutely. I love how that illustrates yeah. that. All right, well, let's move on and let's head over to the world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round. All 
All right, let's get to the fire round. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums that we're going to fire them at you uh, in a, I guess, fast way here. Number one, how, oh, this is just a big general question. You could go on for an hour, I'm sure, but how do you start a property management company? Like, let's say somebody wants to start one. What are the first couple steps that they should be doing if they want to start something? I would say start small and be somebody's, you don't have to be their full property manager uh, to the scale that we are, but do anything for them, whether that's just doing the renting, whether that's being the on-call maintenance person, you can strike a deal with anybody and and start small that way. I mean, um, find somebody who needs some help, don't charge a fortune uh, and build up a couple references. And and in fact, I'll give him uh, a lot of credit. My business partner now, he started doing property management when he was working full-time as a supervisor for UPS. And he was looking to get out of that and become entrepreneurial. So he was doing that while being a self-employed property manager. And he, and he started small. You know, he had a few people that he was just, as he likes to say, we tease him. He was just one guy in his, uh, in his car with a briefcase, you know, and he would, yeah. he, would run, he would run around and any of the calls for the property would come to him. So just start small, cool. take care of a couple of properties and, and do it all. Be the maintenance guy, be the, be the person that rents the apartments and who takes the calls. Perfect. All, all right. right. Next question. What is the expected turnaround for getting a property ready for a new renter by a property manager? I'm thinking they're probably asking how much time would it take? Yeah, what good question. Uh, I mean, obviously there's variables on whether it was wrecked or not, how long they've lived there or not. But I would say if you're a good property manager, um, you, it shouldn't take you more than a week to turn something. And if this is, I mean, that would be that would be a long time for us. I mean, to get it what I call a ready to sh- ready to show. and if you have, and if you're a property owner and you have nice units, you know that. If you have high rent, nice stuff, we show those things while they're occupied, and we have we have trucks moving out with another truck moving in, um, and and it's a little bit stressful. But uh, those those units t- typically take less damage. If you have somebody who smoked in the apartment for six years uh, and wrecked the place a little bit, you should still be able to turn something in a week if you're organized and get people in there. Now, how, how much does your company charge to kind of oversee that turn? Good question. Uh, so that would be part of your management fee. So the management fees, and that's probably a good question for people listening, what do property managers charge? And I would say I've seen it uh, on the, you're going to be at the low end, you're probably going to be close to 5% on a low end. And that's going to be somebody who has a, a bit of a portfolio, you know, not one house. And then you're going to be up to 10% on uh, somebody who has a smaller portfolio. And that just gives you a rough estimate for people to look at. And that's not just us. I think other, the property management industry, and that should be part of your management fee is of them managing the turn other than that. You may have a leasing fee as well. If they're, if they're charging for doing the leasing. Makes sense. I I like this question. I've never thought about this in my life, but uh, I don't know what I would do. So I'm going to ask you to, so you can help me know what to do if this ever happens. My property management company is screening new tenants. They sent me one that is otherwise qualified, but has a 200 gallon saltwater aquarium weighing approximately 1,750 pounds. The pro, according to the property manager, is that moving is such a beast, it's a huge pain, they're probably gonna stay forever. The cons are fairly obvious, including crushing most flooring uh, and uh, possibly wrecking it if it leaks. What do you do? Would you take a tenant with that big of an aquarium? Long answer, no. All right. Put something in your lease, you know, put something in your lease that, you, that doesn't allow that. I, I don't know why. There's enough, if there's enough good renters out there, I, I wouldn't deal with that. That's, 
that's my personal answer on that one. If you were, if you ever, I'm thinking, yeah, I would probably wouldn't either. If I couldn't find a tenant and they were like the only qualified person I could find, I'd probably just charge like a quadruple security deposit or something, you know, like, yeah, put down right. five grand, you get that back, but that's what this could wreck or something. Yeah. And you know, as you guys know, and you guys do a good job of putting legal stuff on the website for people in each state. So there's going to be state specific laws about what you're able to do and charge. But if the tenant's worth it and they're super qualified, I'm sure that there's some sort of financial arrangement you can make to protect yourself uh, yeah. against the, against that water damage. So cool. All right. I am about to have my first renter. What are some do's and don'ts that you would recommend? <laughs> Uh, that's a that's wide a open question. question. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna have to go super basic with this one. So, so super basic. Hope, hopefully, you screened them. You know, hopefully, you screened them. Well, how about this? Let me let me mix it up a little bit. What are some of the common problems that you see with new landlords not anticipating something that could go wrong with the tenant? Sure, I would say, and most of these come from not screening. And, and when I say that, it's amazing how many very smart and otherwise in their life clients we've taken over for who had decent properties. Yeah. and did it themselves before they come to us. And when you take over, it's a wreck and you find out that there was just zero screening. You know, they weren't having them fill out an application. They weren't verifying their income. I mean, there's, you can ask people to verify. You can ask people to provide documentation of their income so that you can make a uh, calculated decision on, on who you're renting to. Because if you don't do that, the things you're going to find, as you guys talk about on the show sometimes, are the professional renters. Yep. So beware of the people that know the system and they know how not to pay. So I guess a, a good tip, uh, a quick one for people would be, I, I see this one a lot with mom and pop landlords, is don't be flexible on your payment terms. So treat it like a business transaction. You're, it's not being a bad guy. It's just... Um, saving the situation from spiraling out of control. I see that a lot with mom and pops is if the, if the rent's a thousand, uh, it's okay to bring me 800 at the end of the month and, um, and then get me the 217 days later and then $600, yeah. you know, three weeks later, just, just don't do that. Just yep. stick to, stick to a system, uh, be upfront with your renters of how this is going to play out. And this is what we do. I mean, it's, it's a business transaction. So we're very upfront with people on how it's going to work out for you if you don't pay. We're not the bad guys. We're not out to get you. But we're very clear that in our state, you have to wait 15 days for a late fee. But at the 15th day, you're going to have that late fee. And somewhere between the 10th and the 12th day, you're going to have a notice delivered to you um, that says if you don't pay in seven days, that this can escalate and go to court. And then if we don't have the payment by the end of that month, if you're not caught up, we will send it to court and just be upfront with people on what your process is going to be to evict if you don't pay and then stick to it and don't yep. make it personal. Just stick to it. So I think every, everyone who's a landlord right now needs to rewind the last like three minutes and listen to that again. Cause like those are like our two, our two, two biggest rules in the world for like managing properties, right? It's like screen tenants and then, uh, be fair, but you know, be, be yeah. firm, but fair is what we say. Be firm, but fair. Yeah. Right? Firm, but fair. And, yeah. and, it'll benefit you if you end up, if you plan on growing too. And I mean, that's yeah. how we have to be as a management business. It's nothing personal. Yep. Uh, we have to treat everybody the same. We don't make exceptions. <laughs> Everybody's going to be treated the same and we'll give everybody the chance to get caught up. But if you don't do what you agreed to do, then we outline the steps that will happen to you. So perfect. I love that. Love it. I think I'm actually make a blog post about that soon. Like three, I'll call it three rules for making your management a thousand times easier. And yeah, it's a, uh, you said screen tenants. I would say manage expectations, which you said, right? Let them know ahead of time yeah. and then be consistent yes. or firm but fair. Do those three yeah. things and you'll 
be a hundred times better than every other landlord. And that's, and that helps you systematize too. That's yeah. how we grow. I mean, in the yep. beginning, I was micromanaging that stuff myself. The only way you can grow and pass those tasks on to other people is other people who work for us now know what this, what the eviction process is. So when tenants call and complain because they were served this late fee or that, they can just politely tell them this is the process. They don't, yep. they don't need to speak with me about that anymore. Exactly. So. Yeah. This is the pol- we we use this is a policy all the time. I love that phrase. Yeah. yeah this is what our policy is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nobody questions the policy or the yeah, fact that I wrote the policy. They just <laughs> yeah. They don't ask that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I hope none of the renters are listening, so they don't yeah, call the office and say, "Can I talk to who wrote the policy?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks, <Brent. laughs> All right. All right. Moving on. We got to close the show out here in a minute. But before we do, let's get to the world famous. Famous four. All right. Let's get to the famous four. The same four questions we ask every guest every week. Question number one. What's your favorite real estate related book? Real estate related book. I'll go back to something you said earlier where business books are or something about business being real estate. So I don't have I've read real estate books, but none of them are as valuable to me as just business books that I've read. I I would encourage people that are interested in getting into this to read business books as well. So I'd probably have to mention more regular business books, which I guess I'm kind of skipping to your next question, I think, right, is uh, (laughs) favorite business books. But one that jumps out to me that I maybe because I uh, read it at the good time in my life, I was in college when I read Warren Buffett's book, The Snowball. And that one kind of stuck with me where I was I had this idea of financial momentum in my head when I was younger. So that just helped me kind of live my life in a certain way to live below my means, to save, to, to do some of the things that are important for anybody who's um, trying to become successful. So that's one book that jumps out to me. Uh, another big one. And, and again, these are ones I think because of where I was at in my life when I read them, but I was just out. So I, was, I read that in college. I was just out of college when I read Tim Ferriss's uh, first book, Four Hour Work Week. There's a lot of you know cheesy stuff in that one, but uh, the big picture of it hit home to me to just kind of it, that kind of awakened a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in me too, to look at income differently than just how much can I make for an hour working for somebody else. So that was a good book uh, for me. I recommend for anybody who's kind of stuck or looking to uh, grow or learn a little more in their business life. Yeah, oh, he, uh, he needs to only work four hours a week because his podcast is like five hours long. So he needs all that time to be able to interview, <laughs> <laughs> interview his guests. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. Yes. yes. <laughs> all right. So other than listening to five hour long podcasts, what are some of your other hobbies? Hobbies? So... Right now, to be honest, uh, four months ago, we had our third child in three years. So, uh, wow. yeah, t- twins. So we had twins first. Okay. Uh, and then two years later, we had a, what I call a super pleasant surprise in our life. Our third child. Very Congrats. unexpected. So thank you. Yeah. So our hands are super full right now. And I'm, that's one thing we're working on right now is how to get back to some of our, our hobbies. You know, that first three months can be pretty uh, insane, as you know. Yeah. Um, but before that, I really enjoyed playing men's league basketball with a bunch of other old guys who still think they can play like me and <laughs> uh, getting still some of the competitive, you know, uh, side out and exercising. So uh, I used to play with some other washed up basketball players. and. Um, Oddly enough, kind of a funny one. Uh, my wife got me into hot yoga and I was very against it at first, but um, yeah, it feels great. So 
I'm the only guy in the class 99% of the time, but those are a couple of my hobbies. Yeah. Not, not always a bad thing. Uh, Number four. (laughs) It's funny funny you say that. The first time we went, I said to my wife, I go, where are all the single guys? I mean, this is, this is where they should be, you know? So tip for the single guys out there. Hot yoga. Hey David, aren't you, aren't you single? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see myself going to a yoga class yet. You should totally I mean, try it. I mean, I'm I terrible, don't. David. I'm terrible. So don't, you, you can do it. If I get some bigger pockets yoga pants with like a B on one butt cheek <laughs> and a P on the other or something like that, I I'll maybe totally I'll consider that. it. Yeah. yeah. All right, I think we need to do a fundraiser right now. We're going to do a GoFundMe for yoga, bigger pockets yoga pants for David. All right. My last question of the day. Jesse, what do you think separates successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I would say that question would be the same for what differentiates anybody who's going to be successful in life. I mean, real estate investing is honestly not that complicated. So to me, it's a mindset. It's the people who are willing to do something different, to do something they haven't done before. And to like you guys nailed it. I like what you guys talked about saying yes people that will go do something outside their comfort zone. That's kind of something I preach. A lot of people work hard. Uh, I don't think I'm the hardest worker by any means. Um, but one thing that I'm always willing to do is something that I haven't done before. So that's, awesome. that's the best way I would answer that one. Perfect. All right. All right. Tell us where can people find out more about you? Our website is uh, www.maine, like the state. So mainrem.com. Um, and then you can find me on bigger pockets too. Just Jesse McHugh, uh, Maine real estate management is the company. Uh, it's kind of a long name, but I'm on bigger pockets. I, I, I chat with people on there. They can hit me up right there. It's a good spot. So awesome. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, this was a ton of fun. So thank you so much for being a part of our show today. This is, uh, this is super cool. And thanks for doing all the management for me out there in Maine. No problem. Thank you. Keep that going. This has been good. All right, guys. So saying thank you so much for joining us today, everybody, for this episode of the Bigger Pockets podcast here with Jesse and, of course, David and me. Uh, if you like today's show, make sure you jump into the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 294. Now, you can also, of course, go over to like, I mean, uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play and leave us ratings and reviews there. But uh, without further ado, David, you want to take us out? Yep. This is David Green for Brandon Fly by the Seat of His Pants Turner signing <laughs> off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. 
The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.